0: Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Deeper Daily Bot Podcast. This is the 19th day of June. I'm Paul White. It's a Monday. Hope your week gets started in fantastic fashion. We're praying the favor of God, grace of God on you and yours. Maybe today we can shine the spotlight on the lovely Jesus. Make your day just a little bit better. We're in Mark chapter 10. Today we go with Jesus to Jericho in the 46th verse. They came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude... Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Let me stop here. Let's let's introduce this story a little bit different way of telling it in Mark versus the Lucan version. In Luke eighteen, we get the story of Jesus' journey to Jericho, um, and then he goes through Jericho and goes to Zacchaeus' house. Mark tends to put this having come out of Jericho, either goes in and then back out. So in whatever way this transpires, the Bartimaeus and the Zacchaeus stories belong together, and they could be a New Testament fulfillment of an Old Testament, uh, Jesus reversing a curse. Remember Joshua, whenever he knocked down Jericho, cursed whoever builds the city again, and he cursed, cursed the man in the setting up of the foundation and cursed his kids in the setting up of the gates. And it's interesting that in Luke's version, Jesus performs a miracle at the gate and then he goes into the city and performs a miracle uh, or, or, or a conversion of a tax collector and Jericho was a major financial center. So in some ways, Jesus reverses the curse by cleansing a man at the gates and then cleansing a man who is part of the foundation of the city. That's fun to look at, and I encourage you to do that in Luke chapter 18 into chapter 19. But for our purposes, we're in the Mark version in which we deal uh, not with Zacchaeus, but we deal with Bartimaeus. Uh, Jericho, I've been there. I was there this last spring. It's about 15 miles northeast of the city of Jerusalem. It's also about 800 feet below sea level, Um, not quite at the level of the Dead Sea, but really close. And fun fact, it's probably the site of Jesus' wilderness journey, or at least the caves surrounding Jericho are probably the site of Jesus' wilderness journey. Um, If you watched our PWM Goes to Israel video that we posted back in April, you we we you might have seen us take a cable car ride from the from the uh, sort of the entrance all the way up to the mountains the caves in the mountains of Jerusalem or Jericho rather and that those cable cars take you right up and then you can walk along the edge of those caves and of course they've got caves they believe Jesus may have had his encounters with the devil or whatever and and no i don't know how they would know that those are the things that are passed down through the centuries Are they accurate or not? Who knows? But I do know that if that's the area that Jesus was in, it is quite formidable, and it is very difficult to imagine someone having much peace there. That might be an aside. That happens right next to Jericho, but Jericho had a sort of long and storied history, and I personally believe Jesus takes this journey to Jericho in order to bring some hope to a city that had been hopeless for centuries in Israel's own story. That fact that Joshua left it with a curse. Joshua, by the way, is the Hebrew way of saying, well, it's the English way of using the Hebrew word, Yeshua. Um, Then the Greek rendering is Jesus. So that Joshua and Jesus are derived from the same word, in other words. So when Jesus goes to Jericho, he's sort of a Joshua 2.0 going to Jericho. But he's not the conquering hero who knocks down walls, physical walls, and then curses your gates and your foundation. But rather, he's the messianic Joshua who knocks down the walls that hem you in and redeems your gates and your foundations. And this is why he goes in. Uh, he goes in with his disciples in a great multitude and meets blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, who sat by the roadside begging. The fact that Mark uses the phrase "son of Timaeus" shows that Mark was writing for a language writing for an audience two things. one writing for an audience probably unfamiliar with the Semitic languages. And it also indicates that Bartimaeus, is not just any old beggar, that he probably is a man of great reputation, or at least his family are people of great reputation, and that's why you say son of Timaeus, because in those um, in those days, in, in the days of those narratives, to include the familial name, the father's name, or the surname was well, to say that this person's important. So and we also know based upon the fact that he wants to see again, which we'll learn over the next couple of days, um, maybe he's lost his sight in some accident or some illness, and he's going to request to have it back. He heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, verse 47. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, Have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man saying, to him, Be of good cheer, rise. He's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So whatever he has cloaked over him, uh, he, he, he throws this. This off. Um, let me, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I know sometimes it feels like I take maybe a little too much time. At least that's how I feel sometimes. But I also think we have a chance when we walk through these things to, to hit these little moments that aren't always easy to hit in preaching. So why not do it? Let's start with this idea. In verse 49, Jesus stood still, or some translations say Jesus stopped. And here's a thought I want to leave you with today. One of the marks of the public ministry of Jesus is that when he sees people suffering in the midst of crowds, he stops what he's doing and deals with the individual because the spirit of Jesus is not one to find its fulfillment in the crowd, but to find its fulfillment in the individual. So Jesus sort of eschews the crowd in favor of the individual. And I'm afraid that we've too often done it the other way around. We eschew the individual because we're thinking of the crowd. And, Jesus thought of, and if Jesus only thought of the crowd, then he would be building crowds. But every time there's a crowd and someone cries out, the Bible will show us how he stops to find the individual because the individual is bigger than than the crowd. Don't forget that, pastors, leaders. We continue with the Bartimaeus story tomorrow. See you then. God bless.